Good morning, everybody. Glad you joined us today, this Memorial Day weekend, and thank God for some great weather, huh? Beautiful out there. And uh, hey, before I get started, I had wanted to mention one other, one other thing. Tamara, if you can put that picture up on the screen, please, if you've got that. I know it's kind of dark, but I wanted to show you this. Michalisi and Erica, our friends in Swaziland, were raising money here to build a well. And uh, they sent me this picture this week. They had the well, well dug. And so, yeah, so it's, th- it's, it's an amazing story. I'll have to tell you this once we all get it done. But God's really multiplied our money. And so basically we're going to get two wells for the price of one, um, which is awesome. Yeah. And so, so anyways, they were so excited and the <laughs> so sweet. I think we have a, a video, a little video. Michalisi sent me this morning this video. I know you can't see it very well. But this is water shooting up. This, this is, they said they dug 100 meters down. And this is a place that hasn't had water in 25 years. Okay. So they have pictures of the chiefs putting their hands in the water and drinking it. And, um, and so anyways, Cedar Home, this is, this is a result of what you have done. And so thank you for that. And uh, we're just at about, I think we're at about 14 grand of the 15 grand. Um, already, and so we've got a few more shirts for sale if you want to buy those, but uh, we're real close to hitting that goal, and, and uh, I'm confident that we'll do that. So, uh, yeah, let's continue to keep them in prayer, and, and man, it's fun. This is the kind of stuff you want to invest your money in, um, and especially in the hands of these people who are going to use this to love the community and to share the gospel of Jesus with them. So, Thank you, Lord, for them. Uh, If you have your Bible with you today, please go ahead and open up to John 21, 15 to 17. We looked at 15 to 17 last time I preached, which was two weeks ago, and we're going to look at it again today because I didn't get to everything I wanted to in there. And thank you for Dylan uh, for for preaching last week. Did a great job. Um, So John 21, 15 to 17. And... If you weren't here, let me kind of give you a brief update kind of on the context of this so you can see where we were at. Uh, where we, were at. Um, we were looking at this passage, and we saw how Jesus restored one of his main disciples named Simon Peter. And remember that when Jesus was arrested and put on trial before the Jews, Simon Peter was asked three different times by strangers whether he was a friend of Jesus. And every time, Simon Peter denied that he knew Jesus at all. And then after Jesus was killed, and after he rose from the dead three days later, he appeared to Simon Peter several different times. And amazingly, Jesus did not curse Simon Peter. He did not shame Peter. Uh, Instead, we see that Jesus forgave Peter for denying him. And Jesus blessed Peter with the standard Jewish blessing, um, Shalom, or peace be with you. And he says this twice. And now here in John 21, Jesus appears to Peter and six of the other disciples a while later while they were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples had fished all night long. They were unable to catch any fish. These were professional fishermen, remember. But the the next morning while they were still out on the water, it says they were about 100 yards offshore, Jesus showed up on the beach. And he told them to try casting their net out one more time off the right side. And immediately, it says, their net was full of so many fish suddenly that they were unable even to lift the net into the boat. 
And so they dragged the net behind their boat as they came into shore. And at that point, Jesus had prepared for them a campfire. He had made breakfast for them. They sat around the fire and they ate fresh fish and fresh bread together. And while they were all sitting around the fire, Jesus took that opportunity to restore Peter in front of the other disciples. Uh, Earlier, Peter had messed up by denying Jesus three times in public. And so here, Jesus asks Peter three times whether Peter loves him. And he does this in public. And in front of the other disciples, Peter tells Jesus three times that he really does love him. And Jesus believes him. And so Jesus restores Peter, first as as a man, as a follower of Jesus, as one of his disciples. And today we're going to see how Jesus also restores Peter to leadership. He restores him as a leader uh, in the early Christian church. Uh, Before we look at that here in John 21, let's ask the Lord to to help us. Lord, we uh, come to your word now and we need your help. Um, We thank you for taking people like us, broken Uh, sinful people, uh, for restoring us, Lord, to friendship with you. Uh, We thank you for restoring our lives, uh, for using us, broken vessels, to bring glory to you in some way as we continue to trust you, as we continue to seek to follow you, God. And uh, we just ask that you would please use today's passage to accomplish your purposes uh, for each one of us here today. You know exactly what each one of us is going through and what we're wrestling with and what's in our minds and hearts. And so use this word, God, to to accomplish your purpose. Uh, We believe it's not a coincidence that you uh, woke us up and made the ground solid for us to walk or drive here today and to breathe air and to have minds that are capable of listening and hearing this word. So we need your help, Holy Spirit, and we ask that you would teach us Please protect us uh, from the evil one, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so John 21. Fifteen to seventeen. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So Jesus restores Peter back into this position of leadership uh, by giving Peter the great privilege and responsibility and authority to feed Jesus' sheep and to tend Jesus' sheep. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, starting in the book of Acts and on to the letters that Peter wrote and Paul wrote, you'll see that this is exactly what Peter did for the rest of his life. He fed the flock and he tended the flock. And 
If you don't know much about Jesus, then you should know that Jesus did not own any actual sheep that we know of, okay? Um, in this passage, Jesus is not asking Peter to take over the family sheep farm and make sure to feed them well, obviously. The sheep that Jesus is talking about here are his followers, uh, those who believe, those who believe that Jesus is God, who believe that Jesus came from heaven as God to die for our sins, that he actually bore the sins of his people on the cross, <clears throat> and when he was killed, he put their sins to death for them so that they might not be eternally punished for them. Those who believe that Jesus rose again three days later, just as he said he would, and that Jesus calls us to follow him. Okay? This is what makes Jesus' followers his followers. And together, Jesus' followers, together as one body, are the church. And because Jesus would return very soon here to heaven, he now hands over to Peter and to the other disciples the responsibility of feeding and caring for his bride, his church, his people. And as one of the very first leaders of the early church, Jesus wants Peter to see himself as a shepherd. He wants us to see himself as a shepherd of God's people. In Latin, the word pastor means shepherd. Okay? So that's why we call the leader of the church a pastor. He's a shepherd. So pastors, who the Bible also calls elders or overseers, pastors are the shepherds of God's people. And so they are commanded here by Jesus to feed God's people and to tend God's people. And at Cedar Home, we currently have four pastors or elders whom the church, you, the church, have selected to shepherd this church family. Um, with the help of deacons and staff and a number of other ministry leaders. But if you want to see the faces and names of all of our elders and deacons and staff members, I encourage you to drop by the information table after the service in the lobby, and you can get pictures of them, and they have a nice little handout that uh, they can give to you so you can know um, the leaders here. This idea of the pastor as a shepherd was not new when Jesus here told Peter, uh, Peter here to kill, to ki not kill his sheep, to care for his sheep. Um, see, hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to earth, this shepherd imagery was used to describe God and to describe the leaders of God's people. Remember, think of, if you think about some of those Old Testament passages, that you can like, oh yeah, I see that. It's like Psalm 23. David says that the Lord is my shepherd who feeds me, who guides me, who, who makes me rest. And, and then further along in the New Testament, what did Jesus say in John 10? He says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And then a few decades later in, uh, in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews wrote that Jesus is the great shepherd who died for us and who rose again. And so the idea of God as a shepherd of his flock is an image that would have been familiar to the original listeners um, of, of the Bible. And it's a theme that kind of runs all throughout Scripture. And just as God is the shepherd of his church, likewise, the leaders of God's people have long been referred to as shepherds of God's flock. So you might say that God is the shepherd and the leaders are the under-shepherds of his flock. And all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament and throughout 2,000 years of church history, uh, there have been both faithful human shepherds 
of the flock, and there have been unfaithful shepherds of God's people. In Ezekiel 34, we see one of these instances of, God, of unfaithful shepherds who, to whom God gives this long rebuke. Uh, to the leaders of his people because these leaders were not faithful to their duties as shepherds of God's people. Uh, Ezekiel 34, 1-6 to says, <clears throat> The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So <clears throat> we see that even in the Old Testament, God gave to the leaders the same responsibilities that Jesus gives to Peter here. To feed the flock and to tend the flock. And as we've gone through the Gospel of John here on Sunday mornings, we've seen that Jesus is often angry with the Pharisees, who were the leaders at that time, because they didn't properly feed and tend God's people. And so here in John 21, Jesus tells Peter to feed his sheep and to tend his sheep until Jesus returns. Okay. When Jesus returns, there won't be a need for pastors to watch over the sheep. Because Jesus will be with us in the flesh. He will be our pastor. He will pastor us in the flesh. But until that day, Jesus tells Peter that feeding and tending God's people is extremely important. Uh, in fact, feeding and tending the flock is it's required. It's very necessary. Because as sophisticated as all of us think that we are, we truly are like sheep. Both as individuals and as um, collections of group of people and as humanity as a race and sheep need shepherds to feed them and to tend them and that's kind of a humbling that is that's a humbling realization uh, it takes humility on my part to admit that God has put shepherds in place to feed me and to tend me because I need to be shepherded but this is the reality for all of us, whether we're children or whether we're teenagers or whether we are adults. Even I, as one of your pastors, I need to be shepherded, which is why I have a number of godly mentors, both inside and outside of the church, that I look to for guidance and for help. The fact that we need to be shepherded, though, reminds us that what God wants all of us in the church to seek to be is humble. Okay? God wants Christians, who, followers, his children, who humbly admit that they can do nothing apart from him and who humbly consider others more significant than themselves, and that's very hard to do at times, and who humbly admit that they need the church and its leaders because Jesus says that they need those things. 
And God wants pastors and leaders who humbly admit that they can do nothing apart from him and who humbly consider the church and its members more significant than themselves and who use their authority to feed the flock and to shepherd the flock, not to starve the flock or to forsake the flock. After all, remember here, the flock doesn't even belong to the pastors and to the under-shepherds. Jesus says Peter, these, to Peter, these are my sheep. <laughs> Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. So Jesus is giving Peter temporary stewardship over the flock until he comes again. Now, I want to take a few minutes here to talk more specifically about what the Bible says it means for pastors, leaders to feed the sheep and for the sheep to allow pastors and leaders to feed them. And also we need to look at what it means for pastors, leaders to tend the sheep and for the sheep to allow the pastors to tend them. So first, what exactly does Jesus mean when he tells Peter twice to feed my sheep? Well, it implies that God's sheep, his people, and really all people, he's talking specifically about his people here, need to eat. Okay? If you need, again, Jesus is not talking here about physical food. Of course we need physical food. We have physical bodies that require physical food. But at the same time, it's equally true that just as every human being has a physical body, he or she also has a spirit that lives inside his or her body. And just like our physical bodies need food in order to be healthy and nourished, so also our spirits need spiritual food in order to be spiritually healthy and nourished. And so Jesus is telling Peter and subsequently all pastors and church leaders to feed his sheep spiritual food. Okay, so spiritual food. What is that then? What does it mean to do this? What is the spiritual food that Jesus tells Peter to feed the sheep? Well, Let's look at Matthew 4, 4. But he, Jesus, answered, he's talking to Satan here, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you live by this word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is the spiritual food that pastors are charged to feed the flock with. To keep them living in Jesus is to feed them every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is how we abide in God. We abide in Jesus by eating every word that comes from his mouth. So how do we know what those words are that come from the mouth of God? Well, <clears throat> among other places, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God. These are the words that come out of God's mouth. All scripture. So the words from God's mouth that he's given us to eat are all of scripture, what we sometimes call the Bible. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that's all of God's words he's ever said. It means these are the words God's given to us and that he wants us to have in scripture. Okay? This is where we look. And it's important to notice that Jesus says that Christians live on every word. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Not some of the words of Scripture. Not just those words of Scripture that I like. But every word of Scripture that is contained in the Bible. And so it is the responsibilities here of, of Peter and subsequently pastors to feed God's people as much of the Bible as possible. 
through worship music and through sermons and teachings and community groups and the various ministries of the church. And, and sometimes this is, might be as simple as reading a passage of Scripture out loud like we do on Sundays. Um, sometimes this might be discussing a passage of Scripture in Sunday school or community groups. Sometimes this might be exegeting and applying a passage through a sermon like we're doing right now. However it's done, the Bible must be the food that we eat at Cedar Home. Okay? The Bible must be. And the leadership is responsible to feed the Word of God to the flock in a way that is as helpful as possible and as balanced as possible and as accurate as possible. And so <clears throat> some of you are graduating from high school or college this year. Um, some of you, if for some reason, some of you might be moving away and looking for another church. This is what I tell people who are looking for a church. The first thing you want to look for in a church is whether or not the pastors and leaders love the word of God in its entirety, and if that's evidenced by the fact that they feed the word of God to the church in a way that is helpful and balanced and accurate. So pastors feed the flock helpfully when the word is served to them in a way that they can understand and in a way that helps them have a better understanding of how to love God and how to love others. Pastors feed the flock in a balanced way when they attempt to show how all of Scripture applies to all of life. And a pastor feeds the flock accurately when he works hard to study and to learn the Bible so that to the best of his ability, even though he's flawed, even though he's not going to do it perfectly, he can interpret and apply the Bible to the lives of his sheep most accurately. Now, there are many passages in the Bible that can be interpreted a number of different ways. And many of those interpretations fall within the boundaries of allowable orthodox teaching. And this is a fu funny thing. This is a tricky thing as a pastor because I know we have a, a whole spectrum of theological views in this. So sometimes the temptation for the pastor is, I'm just going to skip this passage because I don't want to make anybody mad. And that's not what God tells us to do. I really think, I know that people disagree with me on some things uh, re regarding my interpretation of Scripture. And, and, um, and I would say this. I think the pastor would be sinning if he didn't preach according to his convictions while admitting at the same time, you know what, I could be wrong. I'm open to learning, and I, I, I can keep studying too. You know what I mean? But at this current time, you, you really do have, each week, you're kind of forced to preach what you believe this interpretation of the Bible says. Now, at the same time, I think that we have to allow for the fact that there are different orthodox interpretations of Scripture which may not align with the guy preaching from the pulpit, okay? There are interpretations that don't fall in orthodoxy, but there are a variety of interpretations for a, a different passage. So you see that some, if you ever read your Bible, and uh, if you have a study Bible, and it's like this passage, the top six of 30 interpretations of this passage mean this, right? It's like, okay, well, I'll pick one of those and, um, and try to apply it to the flock, but... I want to, the, the goal of the pastor should be to try to seek accuracy, as we all do. As we, as we seek to feed our family and our friends with the Bible, we want to do that as accurately as we can. Um, and then also when we're talking about teaching the Bible accurately, we've got to recognize that the most accurate way to teach any passage of the Bible is to teach it in context. Okay? 
That means looking at what was the sentence before this, where did this came? What's the paragraph that this verse came out of? Who wrote this? What's the book this came out of? How does this fit into all of the Bible? How does this fit into all of history? What was the cultural context going on at that time? Well, there might be some little weird words or phrases that we don't use. So you've got to take into consideration all of that when trying to um, preach a passage in, in context. And context is so crucial, not only for understanding the Bible, but for understanding anything, okay? The media is infamous for taking people's words out of context in order to present them as saying something different. You know that. You hear, I mean, now it's not even the full sentences. It's two words. And you read a headline, it's like, oh, I guess that's what he believes. It's like, it's really not fair to to say that somebody believes something if you only get two sentences out of a 15-minute interview. Two words. And this is why gossip about other people is so dangerous, because you only hear and pass along a snippet of information about somebody or a situation. And if you lack discernment, you're going to believe every piece of gossip you hear as God's honest truth. And so I'm saying this. As thinking people, we've got to learn to be critical learners. We've got we've to learn to test and compare what we hear by the truth of Scripture in all of its context. Okay? So Christians must seek to acquire and interpret information in the larger context in which the information was presented. And that includes the Bible. And sometimes if we're hearing about situations or something in which we're not allowed to hear the context, we need to not pretend we have heard the context. Right? So if and when you are ever looking for a church home that cares about what Jesus cares about, we're bringing this back to the Bible— you must first ask, what does the leadership believe about the Bible? Do the pastors appear to feed the word of God to the church in a way where they're trying to be helpful, trying to be balanced, and trying to be accurate? Another helpful way to answer that question is to think about what it wouldn't look like for pastors to feed the word of God to the church in a way that's helpful and balanced and and accurate. Well, A few questions you could ask. Does the majority of the preaching and teaching at the church seem to be something other than the Bible? Uh, Does the preacher spend most of his time telling jokes? And I say that partially because I'm not a good storyteller or joke teller. teller. But I'll tell you this. There's pressure as a pastor to try to be funny that you, you probably don't get because we like to be entertained. That's why a lot of people come to church is to be entertained. They want to laugh. And if you think about it, a lot of people leave church saying, do do you remember that story he told, that seven-minute story? They couldn't tell you what the sermon was on, but they could tell you that funny thing that had them rolling in the aisles. Um, Are there long stories that seem to have no point in in a message, okay? When you're hearing, now, I'm, I'm saying this, there is a place for illustrations in sermons, and we need to use that. As long as those illustrations illustrate something, that help you understand the passage at hand, right? And so the job of the pastor or any Christian communicator, whether, whatever context you're teaching in, is to use scripture to show that Jesus is the hero and you are not. That's what we're aiming for. Um, another way you can test a, a preacher's faithfulness to feeding the flock is by asking, does the pastor sometimes feed me scriptures that are painful for me to hear? 
Or does the pastor always feed me scriptures that are really pleasant for me to hear? Because if you attend a church where the pastor mostly preaches about comfortable things and and tells you things that you want to hear, then there's a good chance he's not preaching the Bible. Because very often, the Bible does not make us comfortable. That's because God's word confronts us in our sin. It confronts it. And it intends to change us. And we don't tend to be naturally good at confrontation or holiness or change. And the Bible's really good at that. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4, Paul tells Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We live in an interesting day and age. Remember the original hearers of this, they didn't have... They couldn't go down to a church down the street and hear a different preacher. They couldn't turn on YouTube and hear their, they didn't have podcasts. They didn't have all this stuff. So we live, listen, in a different, uh, a unique day and age where we have access to a lot of communicators and teachers, which is, it can be a really good thing. But you have to be careful that you don't listen mostly to preachers and teachers who create sermons that tell you what you want them to say. Be careful that you don't turn away from the truth of God's word and wander off into myths. That's what the Bible says here. Be careful that you don't believe the lie that the Bible was relevant 3,000 years ago, but it's not relevant today. Be careful that you don't believe the lie that certain verses of the Bible mean something different in the 21st century than they meant when they were written. Right? Obviously, we say that while also knowing that we have to look at verses in context. But our world loves to be progressive, right? This, it's progressive. It's an it's a, it's a, uh, honorable thing to be progressive in the eyes of the world, simply for the sake of being progressive. But we need to know this. God does not value that. God doesn't believe that it's admirable to progress from the truth just for the sake of being progressive. God values being rock solid, never changing, and always truthful. That's what God values. And that's why Jesus says in Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Or, they, or some of your versions say they will never pass away. Jesus' words don't change. The, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Now, We talked about this a little bit, but the American economy is based on capitalism, and one of the main components of capitalism is the idea of competing markets. Businesses compete against each other for customers. We are a society that makes us consumers, and there are a lot of economic advantages to this, right? But what's not healthy is when we bring this capitalistic mindset into the church in order to gauge the success of the church. But most of us do that if we're not careful, whether we realize it or not, because capitalism is so ingrained in us. Many churches, this is how we see it, many churches tend to hire pastors, communicators, who will grow the church numerically, not for the sake of making disciples, but for the sake of being a bigger church. Many churches want to hire worship leaders and communicators who will wow people week after week. And... As attenders, 
we are not wired to look for a church that faithfully, we're not naturally wired to do this, to, to look for a church that faithfully preaches the word of God. We are, we're wired to look for what serves us and entertains us most. Which pastor's the funniest? Which worship band sings the most songs that I like in the style that I like? Which children's ministry is the biggest? Which youth ministry is the most happening place in town? That's where we're going to go to church. Lots of people uh, and a great worship team and good communicators and fun ministries are not bad things. That's not what I'm saying. But by no means are they the most important things. At least not according to Jesus. Jesus says, I want you to go somewhere where they feed you the word. Okay? And you're not always going to like the way it tastes. But that's okay, because that's how medicine is sometimes. It doesn't always taste good. But it's the very thing you need, and I need, to be healthy and strong. Now, finally, on this topic of feeding, you should ask <clears throat> this. Does the church regularly preach the gospel that Jesus is God, that he came from heaven to earth, that he died for our sins, that he rose three days later, and that we can have eternal life by grace alone, through faith in Jesus alone, okay? Not because of any of our works. Not because of any of our works. This is what Jesus was talking about in John six fifty one when he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So we must eat the living bread of Jesus, through faith in him, in his good news, his gospel. Because the gospel is the most important part of this Bible. Right? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. You can read the Bible and miss it. Ask God, Lord, show me you in here. That eternal life is knowing you, Jesus. Um, Believing the gospel of Jesus is the way that God saves a person from hell and into eternal life and friendship with himself. And believing the gospel is also the way, it's the same way that a Christian grows in Christ every day of his or her life. You don't progress from it. You just come back to it and celebrate it. And, uh, and so we must ask, is the gospel the lens through which the church reads the Bible and interprets the Bible and applies the Bible. That's the church you want to be at. Okay, so in John 21, Jesus twice tells Peter here to feed his sheep. The other thing Jesus tells Peter to do is to tend his sheep. And the word tend literally means to shepherd. Okay, so he says, Peter, shepherd my sheep. Well, in addition to feeding Jesus the sheep, how does Jesus want Peter and all pastors to shepherd the sheep? Um, well, Scripture shows us in several places, but I think we can figure it out just by looking at the way that Jesus shepherds his sheep. This is what Jesus said in John 10, 1 to 4. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. 
And then hop down to verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So, in addition to feeding the sheep, pastors shepherd the flock by knowing them, by leading them, and by protecting them. And all three of these things imply that the leaders of a church care about you. Care. They love the flock. So if you're looking for a church, you've got to ask, do the leaders of this church seem to love this flock and care about the people here? In John 10, Jesus says that uh, he knows his sheep, his sheep know him, and he calls his sheep by name. So pastors and all church leaders, in my opinion, should love Jesus' sheep so much that they want to know each of the sheep in the flock. So Cedar Home is your home church, and if you regularly attend here, our leaders want to know you. Okay? We want to know you by name. We want to know what you do for work, who's in your family, what you like to do for fun, what you're skilled at, what you struggle with in your life. Now, the leaders are finite, imperfect, limited people, but we care about you, and we want you to know that. And not infrequently, I like to do this little exercise. I will quiz our elders and deacons and staff by putting up random pictures of you guys in meetings and asking them what your name is and what they know about you. So if you want us to know your name, I prefer that you fill out a connection card in your bulletin and email a picture of yourself so I don't have to go, you know, on Google your name and look for a picture of you. And you may not want me to do that, right? So you might be better off to send me your picture right now. But uh, <clears throat> now the point is, we love you. We want to know you. And on your end, though, and, uh, and I say this too, as a, <clears throat> currently, I mean, I'm a pastor, but as a sheep in a flock, am I willing to be known by the leaders at Cedar Home? Am I willing to be known by other people in this church? And in addition to knowing the sheep, the pastors are responsible for leading the sheep. In 10.4 of John, Jesus says that the shepherd goes before his sheep and the sheep follow him. So leading the sheep means that the pastors and the church leaders should seek to set a godly example for the flock. By no means, again, are they perfect, but they should be following Jesus as the flock follows them. Also, leading the sheep means being intentional about leading the church to do what Jesus wants the church to do to the best of our ability. Are we worshiping the Lord as a church family? Are we seeking to connect with one another as a church? Are we serving together as a church? Are we reaching the lost? Are we seeking to make more disciples together as a church? And also leading the church, uh, leading this church means making decisions that are best for the church and that will help the church to flourish. That's what we want to flourish. And one of the most important lessons I have learned as a lead pastor that I never fully realized or appreciated in my six years here as the youth director is that the pastors, elders, almost always have more information than you do, which they cannot share with you. And so unless you have a strong, and we're imperfect, I get that, but I also believe that the church, led by the Holy Spirit, votes the leaders in, right? And so 
unless you have a strong reason to doubt the judgment of the shepherds. And by strong reason, I mean more than just hearsay or gossip or you're assuming something. Unless you have a strong reason to doubt the judgment of the elders on the limited information you have, then you should trust them and pray for them. That's the truth. I hope that you would have shepherds who would not spill their guts and tell you everything they knew. I hope, and, I, and we do. Because we want to, we, wanted, we want the flock to flourish. And just like a parent doesn't tell their kid everything because not everything they need to hear is helpful, we seek to do that. And it's, and it's like we need wisdom. We need wisdom. And so your prayers are very appreciated. Um, in addition to feeding the sheep and knowing the sheep and leading the sheep, the pastors seek to protect the sheep. John 10, 15, in John, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. So shepherds who love their sheep lay down their lives to protect their sheep. This means sometimes shepherds sacrifice themselves and get hurt. But they do it to protect the flock from danger. Sometimes, even when the flock doesn't know it's in danger. And in the New Testament, we see that pastors should seek to protect the sheep from themselves. Because sheep can hurt themselves. Sheep can hurt other sheep in the church. Pastors must keep an eye out for wolves that would try to enter the flock from outside to hurt the sheep or to steal the sheep away or to do damage to the church. The leaders, the elders are responsible to try to keep an eye out for any sort of false teaching that negatively affects the flock. And I want you to hear this, that this is not man's invention for the shepherds to have this authority. This is God's invention. This is God's authority, okay? That's why it's not something we trifle with on either end from your end or this is serious so in john 21 15 to 17 jesus instructs peter and all pastors to feed his sheep to know his sheep to lead the sheep to protect the sheep and while the pastors are the ones who have primary responsibility to do these things by no means does it mean that they should do all these things themselves there is a reason why god made us a church because we aren't only edified by the lives and teaching of the elders. We are hopefully edified by the lives and gospel teaching of one another, right? And the pastors shouldn't be the only ones welcoming new people and checking in on new people and checking in on sick people and making hospital visitations and praying for people. That's a real crummy way to multiply the kingdom of God if you're relying on one person to do that. We need to do that for each other as a church. And, I, I, and I'm encouraged because I think that is, I know that's happening. But one of the reasons why it's crucial that pastors of the church, the elders of the church, do these things and focus on these priorities very often because as the leadership goes, so goes the church. And that's pretty much the same in any organization. As the leadership goes, for the most part, so goes the group of people. Now, <clears throat> on a personal note, as the only paid pastor here at Cedar Home, I want, you to tell, you, I want to tell you that I love you. I wish I did have time and energy to sit down with every one of you and tell you that. Um, over the past four years, one of the ways that God has humbled me and taught me is that I have more limitations than I knew. <laughs> and I cannot be for you what only Jesus can be for you. And it's good for me to know that, and it's good for you, the church, to know that. Um, I love studying and feeding the church the word of God every week. 
I love encouraging you and spending time with you. I wish I had more hours in my day to do that, and I desperately need your prayers, but I want you to know this. I'm your pastor, one of your pastors, but I'm also just a guy trying to take care of my wife and my three little kids at the same time. So please keep me and our other pastors in your prayers as we take joy in praying for you at the same time because we love you and we want to do the best that we can to feed you and to know you and to lead you and to protect you spiritually until Jesus comes back where he's going to shepherd all of us forever. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for, for being our great shepherd who laid down his life already for us. God, we just pray that our church would be a place of great grace as we pursue holiness together and as we do that in a gospel-centered way where we love one another and love you and rest in the fact that we're, we're not accepted and loved by you because of the good things we've done. We're loved and accepted by you through faith in what you've done for us. And that is such good news to us, Jesus. It just changes why we chase after you. And you are the God that I know so many of us want to run after and get to know better and enjoy and make much of. So um, help us to continue to pray for our leaders of our church and our church as a whole, God, that we would um, keep biblical priorities here and love your word and... um, be kind to one another and be humble. Um, that is not in our flesh, and so we need your help, Holy Spirit, to do that in us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.